Hello again, my friends, to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the Church are also intense moments of catechesis. And therefore, we gather again. We are united. And this is the last time we're going to talk about the Church. Isn't that crazy? Um, We've talked a ton about the Church. A ton, a ton, a ton. Nowadays, I'm doing a video. I'm putting this up on video. We'll see if I can continue to make some of these available on YouTube, but check out my YouTube uh, site or page, whatever it might be, spobrien007, you know, that's my my tag or calling number, calling name, whatever it is, so uh, s-p-o-b-r-i-e-n-007, you should find my stuff there, and you find a few other short little videos that I got there, but obviously you found the podcast one way or another online, through your podcast app, through YouTube, and here we are, moving forward, deep dives with Father Sean, and behold, we go forth. Um, Well, without further ado, let's just jump right on in here. Um, We've covered a lot of ground over the church, and so it's nice to bring it to a conclusion here. A lot of episodes, this is impressive. I think the only other uh, series that I have done that could match this was the one on the sacraments which i really really loved i really liked that one a ton that was so good doing the research on that um, so fruitful so i'm super thankful for that all righty let's dive in with a prayer in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen praise be you O lord my god praise be you O king of the universe thank you for establishing your kingdom upon this earth and lifting it towards heaven so towards that fulfillment that we will one day arrive at please Please, God, may it be so. Thank you also for establishing princes in your kingdom, these these apostles and the successors of the apostles. May we learn to cherish them and appreciate them. May, may they be holy, Lord. May they be holy. We ask that you bless your church. Be faithful to her, as you can only be, <laughs> faithful to your bride, the church. Help our hearts and minds be open to your will during this podcast. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So just kind of contextualize all this, specifically because it's the last time we do this. So we began talking about the the foundations of the church before the church was. Uh, but it was there in a seed form, and it had a certain shape and form to it. It was there in Israel, the people of God. There were the 12 tribes, and there were different foreshadowings. There were people who had faith. Uh, there was a priesthood. It wasn't the priesthood of Jesus Christ, but it was all these things are kind of foreshadowing the church to come. And then Jesus established the church, as he said to Peter, Upon you, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, St. Paul talks an awful lot about the church. It's super clear that Jesus established one church. Uh, us Catholics are unique in claiming that one of the churches today is that church. I think other Protestants say, well, it, that original church might not exist anymore. It's kind of fallen off. But we believe when Jesus said, when he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, well, the gates of hell have not prevailed against it, and it still stands. That's the Catholic Church, even though other churches have some different shares in in, in the church and the nature of that church. Uh, let's see, we've, we've flown through the St. Paul, we flew through the, the teachings 
of Vatican II, but before that, we, we looked through all this cool history of the church, the early church, the church fathers. Those are some classic, awesome stories. Through the modern, or excuse me, the Middle Ages, again, some other <laughs> crazy, awesome stories. And finally, the church of today, the church of today. The church continues to understand herself and renews her understanding of herself. And I would say, you know, today the church understands herself much more clearly and better than beforehand, probably just because the need to. Now that the idea that church is under, that there is a church is under attack, the church has needed to kind of clarify this. And that's pretty, kind of the big reason why I've done this series now. Yeah, so that's what we got. That's what we got here. And that's where we're at today. So we're concluding this last portion of this broader series on the marks of the church. One, holy, Catholic, and now apostolic. The church is apostolic. The church is apostolic. What does that mean? Well, the word apostolic uh, comes from apostolos, which is the word the sent one, like the emissary or the missionary, the one who's sent out. And, you know, the first sent one would be Jesus. He is the one sent by the Father into the world. And when Jesus is here on this earth, he calls people to himself, but he also sends out. Before I get into that, though, let's let's address um, what this word, oh, I guess what, uh, how, why the church considers the church herself to be apostolic. In three ways we hear in the Catechism. This is paragraph 857. The church is apostolic because she is founded on the apostles in three ways. She was and remains built on the foundations of the apostle. That's a quote from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Um, so check that one out. Ephesians 2, chapter 20. St. Paul describes the church as built on the foundation of the apostles. Uh, upon the witnesses chosen and sent on mission by Christ himself. The second way that she is founded on the apostles is with the help of the Holy Spirit dwelling in her, the church keeps and hands on the teaching, the good deposit, the salutary words she has heard from the apostles. Salutary meaning healthy or helpful or healing or sal salvific, maybe that's another way, regarding salvation. The third way that she is built on the apostles is as follows. She continues to be taught, sanctified, and guided by the apostles until Christ's return through the success through their successors in pastoral office, the College of Bishops, assisted by priests in union with the successor of Peter, the church's supreme pastor. So the first one is, historically, Jesus said, hey, y'all are apostles, I'm building my church on y'all. The second way is that through the Holy Spirit, these the church continues with the teaching of the apostles. And then thirdly, the apostles today, through their successors, actively teach they govern her they they sanctify her so that is how the church is apostolic uh, based upon the apostles based upon the apostles uh, you know in the early church it was maybe not always so clear because there was a diversity of teaching um, you know you think about some of saint paul's letters you know he's saying like hey just because apollos came um doesn't mean you're Apollo's Christians. Just because I came doesn't mean you're Paul Christians. You know, no, we're we're Christians, and we got to be faithful to the truth, to the truth. We're not we're not this sect. We're not that sect. Sects are not of God. Um, separation from our brothers and sisters, and having these particular claims to follow God and His Church in a 
divisive way, never from God, never from God. So there's a diversity of teaching and teachers, but amidst that diversity, there's also a separation. And that's what Paul is saying, uh-uh, it ain't so good. So Paul, he points to himself. This is just a crazy cool thing. I'm just going to talk a little bit about St. Paul for a minute. I wasn't quite planning on it. A little bit out of the order, but it'll be okay. Paul, when he talks in these letters, he's saying, time out, look at me. I have authority. I have authority. You know, don't go to these other people. No, listen to me. Listen to my message. Uh, it's a big deal. When I got my gospel approved, I went down to Jerusalem. I checked in with the big dogs, the apostles. They gave me the partnership in the mission, in the gospel, in our vocation. And I have that partnership with the whole church, that partnership we can also consider communion, uh, fellowship, and we're in this together. And we're in this together. They're not. They're doing their own thing, you know. And St. Paul, it's just amazing how much he refers to himself. You can get a little sense of that in the letter to the Galatians. Um, in the letter to Galatians, I guess in the first chapter there, he, he talks about a little bit about his, his authority. Um, he went down to Jerusalem to confer with Peter Cephas, which is the, the Greek word for Peter, or Greek word for rock. No, is that Greek or Hebrew? Well, I forgot off the top of my head. I think it's rock. I'm Greek. Um, and remained with him for 15 days. But he didn't see any of the other apostles, only James. So he went there to consult with Peter and James. And that's where he kind of established his, his mission based out of. So, and then the next chapter in Galatians, he, he again, you know, goes down to confer with them. And, and when... They recognize the grace bestowed upon me, he says. James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas their right hands in partnership, that we should go to the Gentiles, etc. So, Paul is saying, look, I have authority. I'm a big deal. It's kind of crazy. It'd be hard for a priest to say that or a bishop to say that these days. <laughs> but sometimes he needs to. Sometimes the priest has got to say, look, I'm a priest of Jesus Christ. I represent the Lord here. You got to listen to me. You can't be ignoring the teachings of the church. You can't be doing this, that, and the other. I think I've only had to do that one time, and uh, it was an intense moment. <laughs> it was more or less fruitful. I, it was, yeah, it was a particular thing. Um, but it was good. Paul did it a whole lot more than me. And because there was maybe a lot more confusion back then. There's a lot of confusion today, but back then, you know, things are floating around. People are um, misconstruing the gospel, and that ain't that ain't so good. That ain't so good. All right, so Paul is apostolic. He had his hands, there were hands laid upon him, and when he's addressing, oh, I think it's Timothy in his second letter to him, uh, he says, keep that fire alive that was given to you, or the gift alive that was given to you by the laying on of hands. So there's this chain of laying on of hands already that began with, with the apostles. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. That's enough St. Paul for the moment. Kind of out of order, but hey, that's okay. So the part in order is Jesus is the one who sent. He is the apostle with a capital A. Excuse me, a capital A. We don't call him the apostle because it's weird, but he is the sent one of God. Uh, the Father sends him into the world to save us. And it's amazing that he forms all these disciples together. He puts them all together. And in the Gospel of Mark, we have a nice little 
little description of kind of what he was doing here. So this comes from Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. He went up the mountain and summoned those whom he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them forth to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. And then he appointed the twelve, and he goes through all their names. Blah, 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 blah. So, this was a cool thing. So, in this sending, in this apostling, that's to say, again, ascending, that word apostle has the rooting in the word sending, those are among the people that he's already called to himself. He called some to himself, and he sent some that he appointed and called apostles. All right, you're my sent ones. Y'all go on out there. They were not the only sent ones, mark you. Uh, I think, mm, I forget where it was, but there's another place in the gospel where he sends out a bunch of them. I think it's 72. It's 72, and they're, they're getting out there, and then they come back, and they were to give their report to the Lord. But the 12 are set apart. The 12. They're the really the only ones who are called apostles. Though Paul kind of gets called an apostle as well. He calls himself an apostle. But the 12 is a certain title that we have in Scripture. The 12. And these are the ones who have the word apostle associated with them. By the command of Jesus, he called them apostles. And then what happened? Well, we hear that they were his intimate friends. There was even a closer friendship with some of them. James and John, Peter, they were the ones who were called apart a few times. But even John had a special friendship with the Lord. He was known as the beloved disciple, the beloved disciple. And they walked with him through this ministry. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry, of his death, and of his resurrection. And so later on in the New Testament, the apostles become the ones who are known as the eyewitnesses. And we'll talk about the importance of that with, with Matthias here in a minute. Uh, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we hear this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. So he calls them disciples here. Matthew calls them disciples, but there's the eleven, which is a reference to the twelve. The twelfth went adios because after he betrayed the Lord, Judas went away and he hung himself. So then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, not all the disciples, eleven. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So a lot of times we use this to describe that, oh yes, we have all been sent out. But if we are honest with the scripture text here, this was not addressed to the whole church. It was, but it was only addressed to the whole church through the apostles, who will be the primary ones responsible for this mission, to go, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. This is the primary work of the apostles. You know, a lot of times we think of the priest, oh yeah, his job is to confession. A lot of times we think of his job as the mass. But the very first job of the priest, the very core of his mission, is preaching. If a priest can't preach, he needs to go back to school and learn how to preach. You know, <laughs> so it is. He is called to preach the gospel first. And I'm not saying it's got to be, you know, obviously it's the Sunday homily. 
But I'm not saying that it's that's even his primary way of doing it. It's in the confessional. It's on one-on-ones. It's going to dinner tables. It's knocking on doors, maybe. You know, it's going visit people in the hospital. It could be all these different contexts. But his primary job, even before the sacraments, is the proclamation of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? So, Jesus establishes these apostles. What does that mean? So, that means they're important. You don't. It doesn't matter who you ask. Uh, all Christians... They're not going to be aware of it, but if you tell them, like, didn't you know that Jesus established the 12, it's going to ring a bell, and they're going to be like, yeah, okay, yeah, that was, I guess they're important. I guess they're important. Uh, so they would say that they were important, but I think very few would say that they are important. And the reason is because the apostles are not here anymore. For us Catholics, we say they were in part important, and they are important. And we have a very important key from that from that early church to help us understand this so this is coming from the acts of the apostles i'm just going to walk through this i'm not going to read it um they thought it was important because they were down to 11 they're like oh shoot what are we going to do you know i think 12 was an important number here so the 11 got together they looked at who was around them and they're like hey you know let's let's consider a couple of these guys they were with us they were the eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry, they were with us from the beginning, and between the two of these, let's cast lots and see who's in. So they cast lots, and Matthias became the one to fulfill Judas's spot. That is to say, he succeeded. That is to say, the word succeeding means to come after, to follow after. He filled a position that was vacated, that was emptied, and that position was Judas's, and it was an important thing that it be filled, that it be filled, and he filled it. This is the first time that we see the apostolic succession happen. It's in scripture, it's in the church history, it's in the tradition, and if anyone is part of the church's tradition, then it will be inevitable that they accept this, that it was part of the Holy Spirit's plan for the early church that it that these roles of apostles must be fulfilled and continued in the church. And as the church grew significantly over different continents, well, that's when the apostolic succession extended beyond just the number of 12. Paul is another example of that. All these other bishops. So, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Um, Paul, again, um, I'll give, you know, we've told a little bit about his story and how that relates to uh, the church being apostolic, but also his words give witness to it as well. Not just the story of him, which are written words, but but his words. He just says it's important. Uh, like I mentioned earlier uh, in Ephesians 2, verse 20, uh, he built it upon the apostles. Uh, this church was built upon the apostles. Also, when he's listing off the charisms, oh, well, there's this charism speaking in tongues we always think about, or prophecy, etc., etc. Well, guess what? The charism to be an apostle is one of these charisms. Isn't that amazing? We think of it as a role, a job, a position, 
um, it's kind of like a chair that's there. And uh, well, when someone empties the chair, someone else has got to fill the chair. And every once in a while, there's a need for a new chair. And so uh, when there's a new diocese made, oh, we got to, we got mission territory over there. We better make sure there's a bishop there. So we're going to put a new chair there and have one of us fill it. Oh, that's what we think about. And there's a real truth to that. But the primary truth is something that is from God. It's not just a practical thing. Uh, well, I mean, maybe it's God in his glory trickling down to support the practicality of it. Maybe that's a better way to put it. And he does that through charisms. Remember, a charism is a gift of the Holy Spirit for the upbuilding of the church. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit for the upbuilding of the church. And so when St. Paul lists off these charisms, he always lists the charism of being an apostle first. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big thing in his mind. It's it's like the big charism in his mind. Um, so, so we should recognize that. Practically, that means for us that those who are succeeding the the apostles, that is to say, those bishops of today, at ordination, the Holy Spirit, yes, He conforms them to Christ the shepherd in a more complete way than just as a priest beforehand. But part of that conforming to himself is the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable them to do their job worthily and well, primarily to teach and proclaim, to sanctify principally through the sacraments, and then thirdly, to guide or govern, we, we commonly say, to guide, to shepherd, and the Holy Spirit supports this role. It is an institutional reality, but the Holy Spirit is within the Constitution, the institution. Remember, the, the Holy Spirit is like the, the soul of the church, and what we see of the church is like the body of it. But the Holy Spirit lives within it and strengthens it from within. Uh, you know, this will be a short episode here, just to conclude it here. And the last thing that I have to say is a witness from the early church again. Again, going to the Acts of the Apostles there. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Among other things, it says, the early church devoted itself to the teaching of the apostles. Isn't it interesting, again, that they didn't say, or that St. Luke didn't say they devoted themselves to the teaching of Jesus. No, it said to the teaching of the apostles. That in, in that context, you know, the apostles were still around. And... And they're essentially saying, hey, look over there. Um, we got to make sure we're soaking up everything that these apostles say. They are the devoted teachers, the designated teachers, and we ought to absorb everything that they have. And to cling to their words, just as like we would have clinged to the words of Jesus. So the early church devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And that's what we should do as well today. We should love our bishops. We should pray for our bishops. We should support our bishops in any way that we can. Um, not talking bad about them, um, supporting them. If, if there's ever a need to be on a committee or if there's ever a need for a capital campaign to provide financial resources, all these different things. Should there be a need, we ought to be there to help the bishop right there. Boom, bang, and done. And the reason is, is because they are the good shepherd in our midst. They are Jesus to us. They are the successors of the of the apostles. If St. Peter came to you, or St. John, or St. Matthew, or you pick your apostle, we'd be like, oh, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But when you see the bishop, 
See the apostle. See him as an apostle and give him reverence and honor due to them. He's still a man. He's still a man. But he is a successor of the apostles. He has received that charism. And the Holy Spirit supports him to do that. He's a free man as well. Bishops make mistakes. Uh, the charism is not a guarantee that the church will be built up because bishops, there's been scandals. But at the same hand, we must love our bishops. We must pray for our bishops. And that is a key to the, the fruitfulness of the church. Again, thank you very kindly for following me through this series on the church. Please share it with a friend. Check it out on YouTube if you have not already. Uh, leave a favorable comment. Not favorable ones are not approved. Go find another podcast to do that. <laughs> uh, but I thank you all very much. Uh, say a prayer for me as well. Lord knows that I could use one too. And may God bless you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Doodaloo. Bye.